Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined here by our co-hosts and stars of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will, episode 407 on our network. Before we introduce our guests, just want to say uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to you guys. It was good, good to have you back. We had a little bit of a, a break in the action, two weeks. It's good to know that our audience continued to grow while we were gone. I don't know what that says about us, but if that's good or bad. But we're up over 62,000 subscribers now. Welcome back, guys. Good to be back. Happy Thanks, New Dave. Year, everybody. Yeah, this will be I'm, – I'm looking forward to the new year. We've grown unbelievable over the year. Oh, we have, and that's a, that's a tribute to you guys, the work you do, the relationships you bring to the network, and your patience with me as a rookie producer. I appreciate that. We, um, we have two ad reads just to preset our audience. Each ad read is about 90 seconds. Two new sponsors for us, Liquid IV. And our very own Zencaster. I haven't aggravated them enough as a producer that they, they came on and wanted to sponsor the show. So uh, listen to those two ad reads. Please don't fast forward. There's two great companies that are trying to help us grow as a network. And then also want to hit up our coffee sponsor, uh, Blackout Coffee, Be Awake, Not Woke. At checkout, you can use Mark Wiley's code, capital Mark W20, so M-A-R-K-W20, all caps. And you can use Will George capital Will G W I L L G 20 at checkout. If you've already purchased it once using that code, use their supplemental link. That'll get you 15% off in perpetuity. Uh, Coffee's on the fellas this year, 2024. So with that, here's our first of the two ad reads. We'll play them back to back and then we'll get to our guest. IV is the category winning hydration brand fueling your well-being. Their hydration multiplier is a great tasting non-GMO electrolyte drink mix powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water alone. Hydration isn't only for people training for championships and marathons. It's about daily maintenance. I use it when I travel, watch my kids play in soccer or basketball games, back for back-to-back conference calls, or even neighborhood walks. Proper functional hydration is essential, and Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. For me, it's the Liquid IV flavors. They offer 12 unique flavors, from strawberry lemonade to Concord grape, my favorite, acai berry. One stick of Liquid IV and 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. It contains five essential vitamins with three times the electrolytes of leading sports drinks. It's made from quality ingredients, non-GMO, free from gluten, dairy, and soy. That's why I'm asking you, take a look at this. This is for real people. It's got real flavors. It's real hydrating. And you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use our code RVG at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you stop when you shop better hydration today using our promo code RVG at liquidiv.com. Zencaster. How to start podcasting with Zencaster. It's now the all-in-one solution making podcasting easy. It's the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Being a creator has never been easier. Why did I choose Zencaster? Three years ago, I had never listened to a podcast. Now I've successfully produced almost 400 podcasts in the last two and a half years, all using Zencaster, and it's so easy. Log in using your browser and start recording a high-quality podcast right away. Record studio quality sound and up to 4,000 videos with your guests. Feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. And it's all in one. If you have thought about podcasting before and realize that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. What am I asking from you? Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code, all capitals, RVG, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Want to thank all those companies, Blackout Coffee, Liquid IV, Zencaster, and also our fourth sponsor, Jaw Bats. 
uh, newest membership to the Major League Baseball BAT certification group. They're, they'll be used in this year's spring training. We also have our very own Jeff Fry using one in Boston Red Sox fantasy camp. So we'll let you know how that goes. But go to Jaw Bats. We'll put the link in our show notes, and you can use at checkout RVG, 15% off of all of their products. But they make great maple bats. My son Tanner's been using his already. So with that, Mark and Will, welcome back to your show. Mark, I'll let you introduce our guest today. Hey, guys. Um, it's great to be back after the holidays. Um, our first guest for the new year uh, is a uh, one of the great evaluators in our game. Um, he's spent 39-plus seasons. I guess this will be your 40th year in Major League Baseball. Currently works for one of our other past guests, Jerry Depoto, for the Seattle Mariners. Um, his name is Terry Wetzel. Terry Wetzel attended uh, Cordia University in, in, in Nebraska, got a bachelor's degree in mathematics. Um, he uh, got a, a master's degree in uh, educational psychology um, and then started his professional career as a teacher and coach in Ohio, Indiana, and Texas. In 1983, he joined the Kansas City Royals, um, was a member of of the organization when they won the 1985 World Series. Um, in, uh, in 1996, he was promoted to director of scouting. Um, we met in 99 when I was the major league pitching coach there with the Royals. Um, and, and it was one of my, it was a real, you know, when you're in baseball, you, you run into a lot of different people that you, you never were around. And, uh, uh, I can tell you that was a really big day for me to be able to meet Terry and understand what a real baseball guy is. Uh, he's worked in scouting for major league, minor league, international, amateur. Um, he spent 17 years with the Royals before going uh, to the Rockies in 2000 um, as a special assignment scout. He was with us when I was there with the Rockies and we, when we won the national league championship, part of the scouting department Um he was there with the Rockies for 14 years, involved in all areas of scouting. He, uh, this is this is one that they don't just let anybody do this. He's he joined USA Baseball Select Committee in 2000. Um, he was part of the guys that put together the U.S. baseball team that won the gold medal in 2000 at the Olympics, the gold medal at the World Cup in 2009, the bronze in 2008 in the Olympics and the silver in the Olympics in 2020. So, you know, not very many people are a part of, of that select committee for USA Baseball, and people thought enough of Terry uh, uh, to put him at that elite status. In 2015, he joined the Washington Nationals as a special assistant to the, <clears throat> to the president of baseball operations and general manager. Uh, he was involved in everything, scouting from major league, minor league, international, again, amateur, you know, People that hired Terry, they they put him with a lot of hats because he has a lot of experience from amateur all the way to evaluating the best professional players. Uh, Terry rejoined uh, the Royals in 2021 as a special assignment scout. Um, he uh, he again he he covered all those areas for them. Uh, he was the first member of the Royals baseball operation to receive both the Ewing Kaufman and the Art Stewart Scout of the Year awards. Um, he, in 1993, um, that's when he got the, uh, Kaufman award 2000. He was the, the uh, tops baseball card company scout of the year, 2003. He was the, uh, scout of the year that he won the Pat Doherty scout of the year award with the Colorado Rockies 2011. He was inducted in the Texas baseball scouts. Association Hall of Fame. In 2014, he was inducted to the Midwest Baseball Scouts Association Hall of Fame. In 2018, he was inducted into the Major League Baseball Professional Scouts Hall of Fame. In 2022, that was when he won that Art Stewart Award for Kansas City Scout of the Year. In 2023, he was inducted into the Museum of, of uh, Nebraska Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, he continues to reside in Kansas, uh, in Overland Park. That's where I lived when I was a coaching there. Um, his wife, Patty, had two, two daughters. Um, and uh, if I got this right, uh, your, Ryan, your, your, your son, 
um, was uh, was drafted uh, in 19, in 2016 by the Washington Nationals. So, you know, for our listeners, we're talking about somebody that understands talent. Uh, people in baseball trust him as much as anybody in the game. And you can see that's where he's had an impact over these organizations on championship teams. And, uh, and people put him in multiple halls of fame because of, of who he is. Welcome, Terry. We're so glad to have you, man. Uh, thanks, Mark. I, I, I really appreciate it. It's, it's an honor to be on, on the show with uh, you and Will. And I've known you guys for a long time. And as you're going over my bio, it, it just, it's kind of like a blur. It's uh, unbelievable that all that has happened in, uh, in uh, almost 40 years. But it, uh, you look back at it and it seems sometimes it feels like it was yesterday. But uh, it, uh, it, you know, I've been very fortunate and very blessed to have a, a career in baseball like this. How did you, you know, how did you get started? I mean, um, you know, where did your career in baseball start as an amateur? And then how you, how did you get into professional baseball? Well, as an, you know, I played baseball growing up, um, you know, little league and youth baseball, and it was, it was way different than it is now. Um, we played in leagues in, in our local area. And then, um, I was fortunate enough to play in American Legion baseball growing up. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's kind of how I got my background and, uh, played a little, I had a lot of injuries, but, uh, played a little bit in college and, uh, uh, but mostly uh, I was a pitcher, had shoulder injuries from, from basically day one, once I got into college. But, uh, when I was down in Texas, um, teaching and coaching, um, I had, I was a head football and a head baseball coach at a high school and, um, a a really good position and really loved doing it. But I ran into George Noga, a long time, um, scout. He was a coach, um, uh, he did a lot of things. He was a uh, shortstop that played with the White Sox up to the AAA level and uh, got to talking to him. And um, me living in the Houston area, as productive as Houston is, uh, and George was getting getting up there in age a little bit and really didn't like to drive around the Houston area. So <clears throat> he put me on as a, as, as a part-time scout, and then I quickly – you know, George retired. I, I took over for him, you know, in a year or so and, you know, had the area. But uh, <clears throat> my me getting into professional baseball was um, by the chance that I ran into George Noga and uh, uh, got to work for him as part-time scout and uh, learned a lot from him through the, through the couple years that we worked together. He was a great baseball guy, guy that – did everything in baseball from playing, managing, winter ball, uh, you know, scouted for a long time. And he scouted he, – he was with the White Sox, the Angels, and the Royals. So really good baseball guy. You know, it's uh, it's so funny. You hear so many stories of scouts, how they got their started, their start. And, you know, often it's, it's the uh, communication and connections that you've made with – veteran scouts that saw the ability in you. And that's how a lot of guys seem to get their start. You know, somebody says, you know, I think we need to look at this guy's handling an area for us because he's very, you know, he's a hard worker. He pays attention to detail. And, you know, it sounds like it's an easy job scouting, but when you're choosing somebody, um, they have to have a lot of attributes that that they're special. Yeah, it's, it's being able to work with uh, people is, is, you know, one of the most important things. And I was very lucky down in Texas. There were a lot of veteran scouts and I was in my early 20s and uh, I, you know, I had the utmost respect to those guys. And I was one of the guys that they, they kind of, they liked. And uh, sometimes older guys don't always like the young guys coming in, but I treated them with respect and, you know, and uh, that, that they deserved and, you know, just develop great relationships. And some of them I still have great relationships with. And, uh, you know, I was just very, very fortunate to do that. You know, I, you know, I think that's great advice, especially for some guys that are 
thinking of getting into professional baseball. Um, uh, you know, whether it be uh, scouting or whether it be, you know, trying to get there as a player, but you know, nothing takes the place of hard work and uh, you know, and, and being a truthful person and not having a like protect thyself uh, uh, mentality. Um, I remember when we first met in 99 and I was the big league pitching coach for the Royals. I remember, you know, it was really refreshing when we would talk about this, the players you'd drafted and had joined the big league team. Um, you never looked through rose covered glasses, you know, <laughs> You know, and after being in baseball, as long as I already had been at that time and being around people that kind of, you know, they protected their area. They they never wanted to admit they made a mistake or they never wanted to put a limit on a on a player that was obviously not quite the player they thought he was, whether it be as a, instead of an everyday player as a utility, instead of a starting pitcher, he was a bullpen guy. You were always very aware of what the guy's evaluation should be. Um, even though when it started out, when he was in the minor leagues, you probably thought, oh, this guy could be a really special all-star type player. But over time, you know, you realize what the guy was. And, and that's really important for major league coaches when they're talking to people that have been with these guys for their whole career, because all of a sudden you might be afraid to say anything because the guy that, that chose him is so tied to the guy yeah, that, yeah. uh, you're going to, you don't want to start off on the wrong foot and, 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 uh, have them get mad at you for for uh, putting limits on the player that he signed. I always felt that all the years we've been that you you were you shot right from the hip and told exactly the truth of what you, yeah. what you uh, what you saw. I, I felt that was the most important thing to do, and I, I think it's very important to be a good uh, evaluator of uh, uh, of yourself, and um, you know, and it, it's to to give good. Uh, evaluations of your own players because that's that's how you get better and when you make a mistake you know go ahead and, and admit it and um, sometimes we draft players that don't uh, pan out and uh, sometimes you don't even though you might be the scouting director or what, whatever role you're in you might you don't always have the, the ability to draft uh, the person that you always want to have but you still got to kind of go with the organization and uh, you know, you stand by your players as, as much as you can, but, uh, but when it's time to, especially at the major league level, you have to give the honest evaluation and, uh, and, and let them know uh, what, what you think. And uh, just to help the, the major league club to, to give us a chance to be in a, um, a, a position to be competitive, to win. And back then in the late nineties, the Royals were kind of in a, uh, ownership transition and it, it was a tough time because they didn't have the resources that uh, the Royals had in the 80s early 80s and early 90s when I was there when Mr. Kaufman on the team and uh, um, a lot of us that were fortunate enough to be part of the Royals back then uh, and they were kind of like a large market team and uh, um, you know we we had a lot of really good players and, uh, and Mr. Kaufman was you know, he, he had the resources and uh, gave John Sherholtz and his staff the, the ability to go out and sign a lot of the players that they needed to be stay competitive. And it got a little tough towards towards the end. And, uh, you know, it, but it's it's it was a learning <laughs> situation. That's for sure. It was funny because by the time they went back to the World Series, those two years and they won that one year, um, they kind of went back and and they got those people and they kept people and they signed people and uh, they had really good development, you know, some really good young players. And it was more like the old Royals, you know, right. and now yeah. they've kind of, now they've gone around. Now they're back to the same way as they were when we were there. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of, it, they're in now they've got to figure out how, where they're going to go. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's a tough transitional period uh, for them. And, uh, uh, last year was a, a tough year. I think uh, I think it was it was it was the worst season major league team that I'd ever been a part. I'd never been on a team that lost that over a hundred games, and uh, um, it was tough in the late nineties. But we never lost over a hundred, and uh, and uh, you know last year I think they lost one hundred six games, and 
it was that that was tough. And uh, you know, they they made some they've acquired a few players this year, so you know, maybe they'll be a little bit better. They have a chance to be better than they were last year. So yeah, but, it's it's and, and you know what people don't understand that sometimes you can have one area of your team that is really weak and it just totally affects all the strength of your team. And you know, know. back in 99 when I was there, we we had a really well, there's no other way of putting it. We had a really bad bullpen. Yes. And yeah. uh we had good starting pitching. You know, they picked us deep into the games. We had a great lineup that could get bounce back if a team scored, they'd come back and score. Um, we had tremendous everyday players, but the bullpen killed it every time because as yeah. soon as the starters turned it over to the bullpen, it was a good chance you were going to lose the game in tight games. Yeah, I'm so, pretty sure that year we set a record for uh, blown saves, at least a oh, Royals. Yeah, record. I'm sure we did. Yeah. It was yeah. it was, it was the worst bullpen that it was the worst bullpen that I ever was involved with, and there was and there was no help, like you said. You yeah. know, financially, they couldn't go out and get anybody. Right. And we we right. we got two guys. We got two guys. They end up on the team that had been retired right. for like a year. Yeah, and yeah. they picked him up and uh, and put him on the team because they were better than what we had. So right. anyway, yeah. you know what people don't understand? I think fans a lot of I mean I think a lot of fans do, but but some don't understand that you made you made a connection with it. Sometimes you don't get to draft the players you want because where you're picking. You know, right. I mean, I was involved in the draft with with Minnesota, with. Uh, Florida and I was involved with the Rockies and you know we we pigeonholed who we wanted even if it was a fairly high pick but often our number one choice got taken right and uh mm-hmm. and then the guy ends up being a star player and people are going well, why didn't you draft the guy well we couldn't we would have but we couldn't right and mm-hmm. uh you know and that's kind of lost sometimes I think um you know in in to the regular fan who just kind of looks at it real simple and says, Hey, we, we, if we had that guy, why didn't we drive that guy, draft that guy in 2005? You know, why didn't we draft him? Right. Well, yeah. You know, and there's also, there are so players that will notify their agent. I don't want to play for that team. Yeah. So oh, you don't well, want to waste your draft pick. Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's another thing that happens that, you know, there are players that don't want to play, let's say in Colorado because of the, the altitude. Um, right. So, so, I mean, that does happen now, you know, who are, who are, you know, you mentioned your George, your first uh, kind of mentor, who else you feel were mentors to you? Oh man, there are so many of them. I mean, um, John Sherholtz uh, played a, a, a huge part John Bowles was big. Art, I have to give a lot of credit to Art Stewart, um, a longtime Royals. Um, well, he was he he started with the Royals originally in 1969, and before that, he was a, uh, a scout with the New York Yankees. But uh, yeah, he played a big role. Uh, Chuck McMichael was a national cross checker that uh, um, went on to work with the Texas Rangers and Atlanta Braves, but. Uh, he played a, a big role and uh, very, very thankful and grateful to, to him. Al Kupski was a, a, a national, he, he, he did everything with the Royals back then. And uh, he was an integral part of, a, of the Royals and um, really did a, 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 you know, I really had a lot of respect for him and spent quite a bit of time. Uh, Gary Blaylock was a major league pitching coach, but he was also a major league scout for a couple of years. And um, uh, I rode in the car with him a few times and when he was scouting and uh, picked his brain and uh, learned a lot from him. But there, there are just a lot of guys over the years that, that uh, you know, I have a, a lot of respect. You, you, you know, Mark, you're one of them. Will, I loved the time, you know, working with Will in Colorado and Will still a good friend of mine. We talk on a regular basis and go just the relationships that you meet uh, in baseball. It, it's amazing. And it's, uh, it's, you know, I wouldn't give that up for anything in the world. You know, so, what, what advice do you have for 
you know, some young people that are trying to get in the game. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it's a different world now. Yeah. But there are certain things that still work. Exactly. It's it's so much harder to get into the game. Uh, back in the in the in the seventies, eighties, the a uh, little bit in the nineties, almost every club had part time scouts, but not not hardly any of the clubs have that feeder program with the part time scouts. Uh, and so many guys get into it uh, as a video scout or as an analytic scout, or uh, you know, just a lot of different ways. And um, it, it, it's it's a lot harder. And clubs have really cut back on the number of scouts on, at the pro and amateur level, and and that's kind of unfortunate. I, I hate, I really hate to see that. And uh, but uh, you know, as my son grew up and played in in college, and uh, you know, different different leagues and uh, a lot of he he's still he'd still like to get into professional scouting and, uh, and right now he's he's working as a manager in a sporting goods store he's making good money and uh, you know it's really hard for him, me to push for him to to leave that and, and go to a, and make you know thirty forty thousand dollars less than he would be making as a manager and a lot of them also ask how to get into player development, and uh, it's some of them have been able to get into it, but that's that's really a, a tough thing to do. I mean, once once you're in in scouting or player development, it, it it can be very rewarding, but but you have to be honest, it's not it's not the same as it as it was uh, several years ago. Yeah, it's you know. You know, and sometimes you, you know, I know we all come across guys that have gotten in the game and we're like surprised how they got in, you know, yeah. because it's, 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 uh, you know, sometimes it's just expertise in something other than baseball. And exactly. then you're kind of shocked that, you know, they're getting positions and that then they're going to make decisions on baseball people. Right. Right. Which, which really, you know, it does bother me. You yeah. know, when somebody reaches a point of player development director, uh, when, you know, he really never taught too many people how to play the game. Exactly. You know, the best, the best uh, player development directors are guys that know how to teach because they then they hire the people that are teachers. They stay on top of what needs to be taught. Exactly. And, uh, and they yeah. and their hires are always reflect that. Right. 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 I think that's real important. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you have to, I mean, John Sherholtz is a Hall of Fame general manager and really his background was more into education and um, not not really as a player, but his ability to listen to good baseball people and surround himself by baseball people allowed him to be successful in his role. And, uh, uh, you know, he, it's, you, you don't have to have played the game at the major league level, but if you haven't, it, it's, it, it helps if you've played at that level, but it's also, it's important to listen to good baseball people and just know and, and study the game because the game is continuing to evolve. And I think it was Al Kupski might, as one of the first people that I remember telling me this, I learned it many, many years ago, but he said, Al said that, the day you stop, think you know everything and you stop learning is the day you start regressing. And I think that's true of everything in life. You know, when you think you've learned everything, that's when you start going backwards and regressing. Terry, uh, Luke Appling told me that when he was 89 years old, still working for the Braves. Yeah. He, yeah. he told me uh, I was a young pitching coach and sat and talked to him in Durham one day with Grady Little and uh, he said, you know, the day I come to the ballpark and don't see something new or learn something new is the day I'm going to quit. But yeah. somehow I keep learning and seeing things, and I still love being here every day. But, right, um, right. You know, you had mentioned Bolsey, who I worked with in Florida. and You know, he had that teaching and coaching background and cared about the kids and uh, was was such a good farm director and ended up being a, you know, a major league manager at some point. And, right. You know, uh, he was he was a really good guy. You know, you touched on something earlier I wanted to go back to is, you know, your your honesty with your players. And 
I, you know, I think we, we've all been in the game so long. First of all, the game is built around failure and being able to accept that you're not going to get a hit every time. You're not going to throw a shutout every time. And in scouting and player development, you're not going to be right every time. But if you stay consistent and you stay patient to a process, you're going to, you know, the cream is going to rise to the top. You know, we, but we live in this instant gratification world. We live in this kind of a bullshit world too, where when we make mistakes, we don't own up to them and say, you know, that was not a good first round pick. Yeah. And, no, and so, the, so that honesty is so refreshing to building what ends up being a very, very good team if you do it the right way. But I think we've gotten away from that because there is so much media attention with Baseball America now. And these kids become deemed superstars at 12 and 15 years old in the perfect game events. And for some reason, we think that that that's always going to be right. And a lot of times it's not that that guy's not going to be the player we thought he was. So let's accept who he is and, you know, try to get him to be the best he can be. But there's some other kid over here who's coming on that, you know, we need to be more honest and say this kid might have a chance to be better than than the other kids. So it's like this, um, you know, you know, I know you were always honest in meetings and and, yeah. and but but I think that's where. That's where you do your best when we're all pulling the rope the same way. And there's a, there's a level of honesty. Right. I think, you know, we've been together for a long time, but there's a lot of times that we push the guys that were drafted and the most money it was put into the player and invested into the player. And a lot of times the guy that was not drafted or, you know, a senior sign or wasn't given a, a large bonus if he's given the opportunity ends up being that major league, that, yeah. that better yeah. impact player. And it is so hard for that type of player to break through and get, get through and get the opportunity. But uh, I think uh, that the independent leagues, um, there's several players there. If they were ever given the opportunity, a legitimate opportunity might really be good players, but it's just, no, kind of, I, 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 I agree. You know, you and I have dug into those leagues, and yeah. I know you were doing that with Kansas City recently. And, you know, you see kids at these workouts, and you go, my gosh, yeah. this kid should be playing somewhere regularly because he's got the tools and he's got the makeup. He just drove 12 hours to come to my workout. No doubt. And, and you go, you know, there's something here. This kid has that why. He has some drive. So. Um, it's a shame that, you know, and that's one of the reasons I, all of us were against them cutting back because I think we need to open our doors more or at least form some sort of an alignment with the independent leagues where it's more, more structured that there is talent there that can come over to us. Right. I think that the roster restriction and the, the, the cutting back in the, in the minor leagues. And yeah, I, I, ho- I hope we don't cut back more, but there has been some talk that they may uh, reduce even more leagues. And uh, uh, I just, there's so many players that need those extra innings, those extra bats and, yeah. and, and, and not, not getting the player to, it's good for their play, the development of the player, but it's good to help grow the game because in those those areas that uh, some of those people fans they never get a chance to to go to a major league baseball game and they 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 love going to the minor league games and they get to see a Mike Trout in in the middle of Iowa somewhere playing for a short period of time or no doubt uh, no doubt you know, Troy Tulowitzki or yeah. you know a, a star player that they don't may never have gotten the opportunity to see. And, uh, uh, but, you know, I understand the economic part of the game and, and uh, uh, don't always agree with that, but uh, I don't think it's for the good of the game and helps grow the game. Well, this is, you see, this is a perfect lead into what something we've talked about a lot. And that is um, 
your value to me, your most valuable is if I was an owner, I'd want to be have you as as an assistant to be my eyes and talk to me because your vast experience in the game in all areas, um, particularly evaluation, um, you know, their ownership is only told what they're told. You know, a lot of these guys come from hedge funds and other investment pizza companies and you know, they really don't know baseball and how it runs. So whoever's given them the advice is gospel. And that's why you need really long time baseball people to, to give the owner a view of what the ramifications are of doing certain things like limiting uh, teams or cutting the draft down. Not everything should be about the money, but most of those guys, that's how they got in the game because they're really good with money. And, uh, but for the good of the game, you know, for me, you've got to have people that understand what it takes to be a major league player. And that once you sign a guy, it doesn't matter if you were number, you had a number one guy and you had a guy that was in the 23rd round. If the guy in the 23rd round develops faster and is a better player than the number one, the owner shouldn't worry about that. He should be be happy that he's got one guy that is is a number one guy, regardless of where they took him. Right. And I think a lot that gets washed out, and they don't understand the value of those players. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's it's uh, you got to give them all the opportunity, and uh, and I understand the economics of the game, and when you have money invested, they're going to get more of a chance, and 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 that's fine. But don't be afraid to give yourself a truthful evaluation that you might really have a impact player here that you're really not given the opportunity to. And you got to really look at it. I mean, the years of experience that we have, man, look at all the players that were that ended up being impact players that were late drafts or maybe even non-drafted players. And, uh, and Latin America players that maybe sign for a thousand or five thousand dollars, and uh, you know there, there's there's a lot of them, and uh, they go on to become star players. So you know, players you, know come you, about, you know, you talk about learning from other people. Um, you know, I, I I'm sure you did the same thing. You know, like when I was when I'd go off the field and I'd scout. And I'd be sitting behind home plate with a bunch of scouts and I'd look over and I'd see, oh, every chart, every, every scout had his own chart, you know, like how he kept track of the game, how he, his notes were and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, and I, if I saw something that looked good, I'd say, Hey, I, I understand if you don't want to do it, but, but could I get a copy of that, that, right. uh, yeah, that chart you have, and they go, oh yeah, most scouts. Oh yeah, you know, you're not giving away anything other than, you know, uh, yeah. a format that might be really conducive to the way you do things or the way you think. And so, I and even even as a pitching coach, I kept charts and I had uh, records that other pitching coaches kept, and I had a whole file cabinet full of those, and I would draw on them once in a while. I go, you know what? I want to shrink this down. I want to. I want I want to be able to have room to write about this and this and this when I'm watching a game, um, and let me go with my file and see if anybody's got a good format for me. And I'd find it, I'd shrink it down because I didn't like to carry big notebooks. Uh, I had a small notebook which I was kind of known for as as a pitching coach, and I kept it when I scouted with, that I had for about thirty years. Um, uh, that that I could write everything in there, and I had every every depart every uh, area fixed. You know, so, uh, you know, I'm sure you did the same thing. Uh, I do. I have I have a file full of uh, different documents for game cards, for the professional, for major league, for amateur scouting, individual cards, you know, and I'm good with the computer, Excel and Word document. And uh, I've designed a lot of them, but I'm always changing them. And uh, it, it's uh, Art Stewart. I'm sure you sat with Art. Uh, oh, for yeah. Years. Years ago, back in the 80s, uh, one first time I was with him, I had a, a little uh, card that I made uh, for for velocity on pitchers and, you know, some of the good college pitchers coming through the Texas area. 
And, um, you know, I would chart down what their velocity were, was, and was it, whether it was a strike or a ball. And he, uh, he, he got, he got a copy of that and he started using that up until the very end. And, um, that was, uh, that was, I always kind of got a kick out of that, but, uh, you know, it, it was, it just, you, but again, you know, as, as, as even this last year, I'd be, I'd be at a game somewhere and, um, uh, I'd see somebody with a, a, a new card or, and, uh, I'd uh, ask if I could get a copy of that or take a, a screenshot of it and try to, you know, take something from what they're, how they're, um, putting down. And, uh, one guy I always tease when I'm with him at a game is Billy Shear. I said, Hey, can I get a copy of your game card? And, uh, he start laughing. He'd tear it off and it's, uh, yellow legal pad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter what the, the chart, is, what you what you use, it's what you put down on there or what actually goes into the report when you're doing it. doesn't matter how you do it. Just make sure it works best for you, for you. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I used to, before computers and stuff, I used to, I used, I had a copying machine and I used to cut things and shrink them and, yeah. and I'd still get the cards, but I would, copy them and then shrink them and then cut the area of the card that I liked. Yeah. And I'd cut it out and I'd kind of build my own. But then when the computer came on, I love that when I yeah. build yeah. my own stuff, you know, right. Uh, right. on Excel and stuff, I go, this is the greatest, you know, and because yeah. when you're scouting and you're seeing a lot of things, it's nice that you can just touch a box. You know, yeah. let's say you were doing velocities per inning. Yeah. You know, it's nice to just, you know, you know the range it's going to be. You don't have to have a massive range. You know what the guy's range is. It's small. You just dot it during that inning, 15 yep. or, or 20 pitches on that inning. You go to the next inning, and then you can see whether his velocity's falling off or going up. You yeah. know, but it's something you can do quickly, you know? Right. right. And, it, and, it, and it's so important. I think this gets lost sometimes. Hey, the guy, man, that, did you see that pitch? Did, did you see the action of that pitch? Man, that, that, that was 98 with this, uh, vertical and horizontal depth. And I go, yeah, but it was ball one. You know, it's, <laughs> you, you, you gotta be able to throw a strike and, and, uh, and be able to command whatever pitch that it is that you have because control and command still, if you don't have that, you're not going to be successful. Well, you know, let's let's shift base here because I know a lot of people would love to hear what you have to say about, you know, how you know how it was as a, on the selection committee and how you went about picking Olympic players. Um, I mean, you get a lot of players in there, man. How do you kind of what are you looking for? You well, know, to, for a national player. Well, the first thing we do is we look at all the top players, but uh, as the years have gone on, organization are so uh, they're protected of their pitchers and uh, some of their star players. So we'd go and get the, you know, because sometimes people say, well, how come you didn't pick this guy, this guy, this guy? Well, because that, that organization would not allow that player to go that to leave, you know, for a certain event. And um, so we had to be very creative and try to get the, best players that you can. And a lot of times we would get guys that had some major league experience, but they were really good minor league players and had good international winter league experience. And uh, they, they just, they knew how to play against team Mexico or, or uh, maybe they had some experience in Japan or Korea and that type of thing, because it's, it, it's a different level of playing. And, uh, you know, it's not everybody uh, has that kind of, uh, um, ex that, that kind of ability and, and will be successful at it. It's, it was a little tricky. And sometimes the good AAA player was a, a great player on the Olympic team. Hey, Terry, this is Dave. I've got a question for you. You're, um, you know, today's today's kid is going through so much more. And you talked about the transition from, you know, wanting to get in the game as a coach or a scout. But these kids nowadays, are they have so much uh, different distractions than they did in the past. 
whether it's off the field or even in the dugouts now with with the tablets and all the analytics going on how do you how do you factor that in when you're scouting whether it's amateur scouting or you're scouting uh, other teams uh, other teams players and or you're developing your players how do you factor that into the overall development of the kid what they're what they're going through nowadays with multiple distractions and then uh, what are some things you observe with success stories regarding that well i think i think a lot of the information that's given out there is is outstanding and um, you know the ipad and the video that that players have access to is is great but uh, mark and will and uh, you know sometimes you guys know that too much information, you get paralysis by analysis and uh, you have to really be careful. I think the most, when you're in development, you have to understand what type of learner that that player is. Is he a visual learner? It, you know, is he an audio learner? It, you know, you just, you have to figure out what uh, is the best way to get to the player. And uh, the, and the same thing when, uh, when I talk to a lot of, uh, guys that are trying to get into player development. I just came from the ABCA Coaches Convention in Dallas, which is a tremendous event, and I try to go almost every year. And you know, you have thousands of the top co- college and uh, high school coaches, and uh, you have several. The trade show is amazing. The different vendors and uh, bat companies, and uh, you have rap sodas there, drive lines there, and a lot of the academies are there, you know, promoting what they do. And uh, uh, a lot of players are, a lot of people are there trying to get jobs. And, uh, you know, they just have to kind of filter through everything and and stay with what they do best and, uh, you know, and kind of meet as many people as they possibly can and develop relationships. And when you get the opportunity, you know, do what the organization wants you to do and uh, is the number one thing and, uh, but do it to the best of your ability and, uh, and when possible, try to elaborate on what you think or, uh, could be an asset to the organization. So, I mean, player development has really changed over the years. There's a lot more coaches and analysts at every level. Uh, years ago, you had the manager, a hitting coach, and a pitching coach, and that was it. Now, now there's a bench coach, assistant hitting coaches, a hitting an, an analysis, a pitching analysis, analysts, and um, uh, a lot of strength and conditioning guys and uh, medical people. Uh, you might even have uh, from the, the psychological uh, department there, and um, so it's it's just a lot more. Uh, people that are involved in and, and it. And a lot of that's good, but again, it just, it has to be taken in context and uh, uh, you know, every place needs their own place and stay in, in their own lane. And, uh, and uh, so players don't get overwhelmed with the amount of information. Yeah. That's why you got to be a good self-evaluator yeah. to know what's good for you. You know, um, the right questions to ask because, you know, some of these guys are good talkers and yep. uh, you know, you, you got to think uh, what's the finished product that I want. I want my kid to be a major league player or I want my player to, my, to have an opportunity to play professional baseball. Um, you know, we know there's no guarantees and, you know, we're seeing things in baseball now at a higher level than we ever have. More guys are getting the thing um, exactly now yeah. because you know, first of all, I, I don't, you know, I don't know all there is to know about it, but I know that, that, you know, I didn't see as many of it as a player myself. And then uh, for years as a coach and uh, you know, I, I remember seeing that uh, the first one I ran into as a, as a uh, coordinator and, uh, you know, we found and did research where the, the first two that I had had drinking problems that we didn't know. Right. You know, um, now I'm sure that uh, feeds into the psychology of it. Um, uh, you know, is the horse before the cart or what? You don't know. But you, you got to find these things out. And that's why all these teams have, you know, performance uh, psychologists. Every team has them. Right. Because they're having to deal with these guys that, uh, I mean, think about it. We've talked about it before. They, they're not taught to go deep into games. No. You know, they're not taught to do those things. 
when they're asked to do a little bit more or they're doing it at a higher level than they ever have when they first time they don't have success, it affects them more than it ever did players back in my year. Right, right. You know, with all the analytics of the game, I remember one time sitting in a, a meeting at, during the winter meetings and talking to one of our analytic guys, and uh, and he was talking about all the things he thought was important. And and and, I, and when he got done, I said, "Hey, well, what about innings pitched?" And he looked, kind of looked at me, and I said, "Well, it, it's real important for a guy to be able to give you innings, not just innings, but quality innings." And, um, you know, he kind of looked at me and he says, well, I've never really thought of it that way. I said, you know, it's, it's, it's real important. And, you know, we've, the game has changed. There's pretty soon there won't be hardly anybody that hits the 162 innings that qualify uh, for the ERA title, you know, and um, it's because we, we only have guys go four or five innings and then they're, they're out. And, uh, and that's why you have 13-man uh, bullpens. But uh, I think uh, maybe we had pitchers go too long, you know, years ago. But uh, I think we had to kind of have the pendulum swing back to, uh, you know, developing guys that can pitch a little bit longer into the game. But uh, the, it, and, and that's, that's hard because a lot of the young players, high school and college players, they haven't been trained to do that. And then to try to get them to do that at the professional level, that that's that's hard to do. And, uh, hey, you know, I just thought of something. I've never thought about this before. Um, what if they took all the safeguards that we're using in baseball today and uh, attached it to tennis? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, Federal and Nadal and all those guys, they'd have to take them out of the game. Yeah. They'd have to take them down because they've had too many serves. Right. Right. Uh, they've been out there too long. The temperature's too hot. You know, that should tell everybody. I mean, you can relate that to pitching. Yeah. And yeah. and it's even harder because, you know, you're not getting a lot of breaks. There's not a lot of big inning breaks, you know. No. Right. Um, so they've never done that in tennis. Right. So why did it ever? And, and it didn't seem to hurt those guys with all that repetition and all the practice they do and all the serves they make, you know. Um, that'd be a good question to ask. I think I just came right. across me. I know it doesn't affect baseball, but I, I think it's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely is. And it's just different how they, they do it in, in that type of sport. But, uh, you know, I've been to Japan a few times and you go over there and, and their philosophy is quite a bit different than ours. And, um, uh, you know, their pitchers go a lot deeper in the game and they throw a lot more in between their outings and uh, uh, that they have guys that uh, they don't use. Well, they use it a little bit, but they, they like to have five BP instead of a, a machine. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, you, it's, it's, it's a little bit different there. And, uh, you know, I kind of tip my hat to them because, you know, they play the game. Uh, a fundamentally sound way over there. Hey, just to go back to your 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 time as a, on the selection committee, did you get to go to the Olympics? Uh, no, I never. I was never. Never did get the opportunity to do that. So I wish I would have. But uh, yeah, you must um, have been excited when you watched yeah. the two thousand team. Yeah, that was that was a, a was that a, the one in Australia. Uh, that Tommy Lasorda was the manager. I, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I yeah. think it was in Australia. Yeah, yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, that was amazing. They beat uh, where they beat Cuba. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly how that you know who we beat and when we beat them, but it was a very exciting time. So, yeah, yeah that, that was, was yeah, that was great. Yeah. Terry, are you surprised that we're we're um, we spent all this time at the grassroots level? I mean, there's there's more throwing coaches on every corner now than than Starbucks. Um, with all this development out there, I'm using air quotes on an audio show. Are you surprised that we're outsourcing our pitching now to places like Japan? You mentioned Japan. We, I mean, two of the biggest off-season signees were Japanese pitchers this year. Well, it it no, it does not surprise me, and because uh, I've seen their how they play baseball over there, and. Uh, 
there, there's a lot of really good players there. And, you know, some of the guys that are come over this year, it, now they're going to have to deal with the, that transition and, and uh, it, you know, and that's the tough part. It's not just the ability, but can they, can they survive that the, the culture change and being away from their friends and family and, and all that uh, and coming from Japan to the United States, that that's tough. And, uh, um, it, you know, that's why some of them have success and some don't. And, uh, and some have short lived success and then they want to go back. But, uh, there, there are a lot of players over there that probably never get to the play in the major leagues, but, they could, they, they would do well if they were given the opportunity. And uh, I don't know if there'll ever be a, a major league team in Japan. If uh, major league baseball will go, you know, expand worldwide like that, it, it that the, the travel would be tough and uh, um, it, but it would be interesting to see if there were a couple major league teams from Japan that were put into the, big leagues and see how they would do, you know, I think, you know, that travel would be unbelievable. I know I played in Hawaii when it was in the Pacific coast league. And, uh, we, I remember one year we opened the season like 25 days or something on the road Yeah, to get the schedule set up. And then we would be home for like, uh, we'd have seven game series with teams. They'd come over and we'd have two seven game series. Then we'd go on the road for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, tough. Just in order to do it. And uh, it was our advantage when teams came to Hawaii to play. Yeah. Because it's a beautiful place. And, you know, they, players like to have a good time or spend exactly. too much time in the sun or on the beach looking at the girls. So we took full advantage of that because right. we had a phenomenal record at home. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Yeah, I know that the travel situation, it, it can be a, a tremendous challenge for players. And, yeah, you'd have to do it in regions and then yeah. you know, go out of the regions for a couple of weeks once in a while, you know. Right, right. Um, and that's the only way you do it. But I don't right. know if there's, you know, you'd have to bring Korea and Japan and. You'd have uh, to have more than one team over there. Taiwan or something. You'd have to have like two teams in each of those countries or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then, and even then it would be tough, you know. Yeah, but yeah. someday it may happen, you know, there might be a team in Mexico or uh, Dominican or Puerto Rico somewhere, you know, it, I don't know they've talked about it. And uh, I'm, I'm, I, I would never say never on anything in baseball after seeing right. what's happened the last 10 years. Yeah. And the uh, NFL's playing more and more in Europe. And uh, I don't know if there'll ever be a team there, but they, they, they do like to play over there, and they, and it's very popular when they when the NFL does it. I'm I'm sure Major League Baseball would be very popular, uh, and has been very popular when we play out of the United States. So, you know, and it, probably worldwide, it would help grow the game. But there's a lot to it that would have to be considered. You know, well, I know now that we've cut down the rounds of of the draft. Yeah. Um, and uh, we no, no longer have the draft and follow, which I thought was really good. Yes. Yeah. Um, we give you an opportunity for a team that if they wanted to spend some money, they could wait to see what the guy was going to be. Right. Then they would get virtually two number one picks. Exactly. You know, exactly. That's a good way to build back your system. Andy Pettit was one of the mm-hmm. last. I'm sure there were some others, but that I can remember was a draft and followed by the New York Yankees. And out of high school, he was a big kid that didn't throw that hard, but could really pitch. And he went to San Jacinto Junior College. And uh, uh, he wasn't their best pitcher at that time. He was good. That was a very good team, won the national championship, but uh, probably could have beat a lot of Division One teams. And uh, uh, But uh, he ended up getting more money and uh, – and the Yankees signed him, and I think he was a 17th, 18th round draft choice. And you know, obviously, he probably wouldn't have went in the first round, and um, uh, the the next year. But uh, you know, he went on to have a a, a tremendous major league career. And uh, Daryl Kyle was another uh, pitcher that was uh, a really late round pick by the Houston Astros that ended up being a quality major league player. So. And, and, and there's there's several others, you know, but those are two of them that I can remember, you know. So. Yeah, it's uh, 
I just thought it was a it was really a cool thing, you know, yeah. that you could go ahead and draft him because I really like him. If he can do this and this by the time of the before the next draft, I think we should sign him, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Especially if he goes to a good program in junior college, you know? Right, right. Yeah, that pro that that San Jacinto is a, is quite a place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for players. Right, right. It's it uh, didn't didn't Clemens go there? Roger Clements went there and, you know, he went there for one year. Then he went to the University of Texas and, right. you know, there's uh, Wayne Graham was a great coach there. And then he, he went on to, uh, well, Wayne Graham actually was played a little bit in the major leagues and had some experience as a uh, minor league coach. Uh, so he had, you know, professional experience. And, uh, and then uh, he went to Rice University and, won one or two national championships there and had a lot of great players that came through Rice when he was head coach there. So Yeah, there was a couple of players I went to with the Rockies I went to see there. Big kids. Real yeah. big. Yeah. I man. don't know whatever happened to them. No, I'm, I'm not sure what year, but there's that man, they had a lot that a great run of uh, major league players and uh Jose Cruz Jr. was the probably the best player that came out of Rice, but uh, they had several pitchers that got they had, The pitching coach there was, um, back when I went there a number of years ago, oh, he used to pitch in the big leagues for Toronto and um, who else? Well, they had good uh, guy. He was a good player. He was Woody, a good pitcher. Woody Williams was pitching coach at San Jacinto. And then, uh, Who's that? Woody Williams. That, yeah, that's and, who I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah Woody I mean, Williams. He just, I talked to Woody when I went in there. I mean, yeah. you get a guy with that that kind of experience as your pitching coach for those kids to understand what it's like to play professional baseball, I think was really important. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He just was just hired uh, by the University of Houston as a as a coach. So I'm sure he'll do a great job there. So Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mark, we've kept Terry for over an hour now. Um, appreciate his time and Certainly want to be respectful to it. Any, any final questions or any, anything you want to wrap with, with Terry on or Terry, something you haven't covered that you want to inform no, our audience on? I know this has been great. And I love the time here. And, uh, got, you know, like I said, I got the utmost respect for Mark and Will. And it's just awesome to be able to um, talk to both of them. And, uh, you know, it's my pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, Mark, anything yeah. final for Terry? No, I just, I think it's it, like so many of the people that we have on that have great careers in baseball. Um, you know, it all comes back to being open-minded and listening like Terry does, and but also giving your opinion and not being afraid to give it. Um, when you have good information and you have good knowledge, uh, you can't be afraid to give it. And um, if people have a problem with that, uh, it's more their problem than yours. It's just that sometimes you have to figure out a way to present it to where they'll actually listen to you. And I think Terry's been a master of that for 40 years now in the game. And I think it's really great that we had Terry on to give our listeners and some young guys that would like to get into baseball to understand that some of the things that are important. Oh, I agree. And I think the, the, one of the many points that you guys impressed on our, uh, I re-looked the numbers, we're closing in on 65,000 subscribers as the show is going on right now, is that you, you always have to keep learning. You adapt or you die. You got to keep getting better every day. And you guys impressed that on every show. Terry articulated that perfectly today. And his, his career is a credit to that, without a doubt. Um, Mark and Will, great show today. Terry, thanks so much for giving us over an hour of your time. I know you're busy as well uh, with the Mariners and, maybe enjoying a tiny bit of downtime yeah. um, if, you're, if you're lucky. And uh, to our audience, closing in on 65,000 right now, Blackout Coffee, Be Awake, Not Woke. Make sure you use Mark W, all caps, 20 at checkout. If you've used it already, use his supplemental link. That will give you 15% off your second go round. Or you can use Will G, all capitals, with the number 20 after it. Same set of instructions there to get your discount. Take a look at Jaw Bats. Uh, Jeff Fry is using it right down now at the fantasy camp and, uh, for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, my son Tanner's got one that he's using, getting ready for his season to start. Uh, great maple product. You get 20% off at checkout. Any of their uh, items, not just bats, but all their 
all their apparel and whatnot. Use RVG, all caps, at checkout. That'll take care of you there. And with that, guys, great show today at the 8th Art Common Sense Pitching in the Books, episode 407. Terry, thanks again. Mark and Will, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.